Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. It is Sunday. You know what that <laughs> means, don't you? Well, it means that we're talking to each other because that's when we talk. That's true. It also means that today is the day that we are going to be pulling out of a hat. A virtual hat or a real hat? I don't know. Who won our contest from the last couple of weeks? We're drawing names of people who submitted um, what kind of actions they've been taking in their own lives to kind of change the system. Uh, and those people will be winning a copy of my new book, Until We Are Free. And we'll share with you what those folks are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is not a virtual hat. It's not a real hat. I actually, um, uh, I'm, I'm at my parents' house, actually. I'm, I'm coming to you today from Georgetown, Ontario. And uh, so I have a sock. Because... <laughs> A just, sock, you said? You're pulling it out of a sock? That's yeah, very weird. It's a big sock. Uh, it's a really big sock. <laughs> so everybody's name who entered is inside of the sock that I'm that I'm wearing on my on my left hand right now. Well, great. Let's get it started without further ado. Who is number one? Well, and and you know, this is an an intimate medium. And so we are I'm gonna pull this this information for you right here and try to make sure that I don't, I don't drop everyone else's name. As I'm, well, you should have used a hat and not a sock. That's like trick number one or like a bowl. Okay. Well, <laughs> like a sock makes it difficult. <laughs> we have never uh, talked about what is the best way to do a draw. Um, and so Sandy, I'm going to have to defer to you. You're right. I didn't think we had to. <laughs> I didn't think we had to, but here we are. Okay. Winner number one, Chloe. Chloe. Okay. So Chloe, uh, thank you for your submission. Chloe spent last night at a Wet'suwet'en Solidarity Rally. And last by last night, I mean from uh, February 19th, organized by Indigenous youth where Chloe lives on unceded Coast Salish territories. Thank you so much for your submission, Chloe. That's fantastic. And the type of organizing, we hope that this podcast inspires. Who's next? Kate. Um, Katie. Katie. Katie and a friend are o- organizing an open mic night fundraiser to be held on March 6th in solidarity with Mi'kmaq grassroots grandmothers in Nova Scotia who are fighting the Alton Gas Project in court and all the proceeds will go to the treaty truck house legal fund and uh katie sent us a gofundme where we folks can read up for with more uh, read up on more information on the uh, treaty truck house legal fund and can also make uh, their own donations so we will post that in the show notes for those who are interested in also supporting this project the alton for gas project is going to dump massive amounts of salt in the shubenacadie river uh, as part of uh, a plan to create salt caverns uh, for the storage again of uh, natural gas and so please uh, support that initiative and thank you so much uh, Katie, for the work that you are doing. Next draw is Annie. Annie. Annie was a part of a group that took the Thousand Island Bridge to the U.S. for a couple hours last week. 
So uh, as part of the the fight back and support for Wet'suwet'en, so that is a really intense action. Way to go, Annie. Support you. Who's next? Okay, next is... Amy. Amy. Amy has a radical notion that everyone should feel safe and welcome in their workplace. Radical, not radical. This is this is a regular notion. I think I think that that should be considered red, regular, maybe considered radical in the world we live in today. Um, and so Amy has been working with a local nonprofit to provide sexual and gender diversity trans 101 education courses available to all members of Amy's union, as well as the other unions and guilds within uh, the industry in which Amy works. Uh, And that is also pretty incredible. Education is where often all of this stuff starts. And so support you, Amy. Thank you for doing that. Okay, the final draw is Rebecca. Rebecca has been sharing educational posts on social media and to show up and and has been showing up for what's so it in uh, solidarity actions locally. And so that's pretty fantastic. Thank you, Rebecca. We are going to follow up with everyone who uh, who's won and uh, we'll get a copy of a book of the book to you. And to everyone who didn't win, but who entered, thank you so much. Um, we'll probably maybe do this again, I think. Hey, Sandy, this was fun. Yeah, that was fun. And I think it's kind of important to show other people uh, what people who listen to the podcast are working are, are doing. Um, and there were um, lots of other great submissions. Uh, so hopefully, in, if you didn't win this time, when we do it again in the future, you can win that time. That would be great. Totally. Or maybe we should find like a tote bag um, manufacturer who's willing to give us a bunch of tote bags. We could start <laughs> mailing out Sandy and Nora tote bags, which would be actually kind of cool. Oh, that'd be weird. People walking around with their names on a bag. I think that's strange. (laughs) We'll talk about that more and get back to you. (laughs) Yeah, I might have to do some convincing on the bag. Um, What are we talking about today? We're not talking about bags. We are not not talking talking about bags. We're not talking about contests. We're doing something a little different today. Yeah. So just before uh, we turn on the mics, we were discussing, as we usually do in the couple minutes before we turn on the mics, what we were going to discuss today. And then Nora said, perhaps we should discuss how partisan politics are anti-democratic. And then I said, I don't know if I believe that partisan part- politics are anti-democratic. And this this whole thing has happened about 7 million times before where either myself or Nora will put out a... Uh, uh, like some sort of premise and either one of us don't agree with it. And then we have what is usually a very, very long, um, uh, intense discussion about it where we come to some, uh, some sort of conclusion at the end, usually, uh, which is a wonderful <laughs> way uh, to develop your politics, actually. <laughs> so if you have a friend like that who sees the value in argumentation, make sure uh, you uh, engage in that kind of thing with them. But we don't usually do it with the mics on. So I was like, wait, 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 before we figure this out, let's just turn on the mics and like do it in front of the peeps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The things that we can learn uh, to develop our own political analysis as we're talking through these issues is really important. And 
last week, uh, I think we said something about how it's become very difficult to convince other people of your politics. And I think that's because we have lost um, the art of debate and discussion in a way that isn't to like hammer someone else with your opinion and, and instead try to find a way to come up with some sort of consensus uh, between these ideas. And so I suspect that's what's what's going to happen here because, Sandy, I know that we don't disagree too, too much on how partisan, like what's broken about partisan politics. But it seems to me that we are approaching a place where you can no longer separate what partisan politics are supposed to do which is kind of bring order uh, to what could be a very chaotic uh, system of governance or a system of decision making. Uh, And instead, they've become the political parties have become kind of obstructive. (laughs) I mean, the what was we were when we were talking before the show, uh, I came at this thinking about um, some of the failures of the NDP of the last month. And and Sandy, you were talking about um, what just seems like perpetual election hell that your uh, current country is embroiled in. And so for... Oh, I'm not claiming that is my country. <laughs> we, the country that I am currently in, okay? Let's be very clear. <laughs> and so I guess the question for me is, at like, what point uh, can we... Do we have to sit back and say, okay, maybe partisanship has become such a block uh, to actually... Um, actually being democratic that we need to start conceiving of a completely different way of of social movements engaging with partisan politics because they will just obstruct they will just um they will just co-opt they will just do nothing or do half measures toe the party line engage in their own internal kind of political problems for a, a long time while at the end of the day average people who aren't necessarily in those structures get nothing they're left behind or they're used or they're ignored and i'm i'm just not sure that um that we can reform if you think of canada that we can reform the liberals the conservatives the ndp the greens the bloc into some something that resembles democracy and certainly not under the current vote, current voting system you see and so i i don't disagree with what you're saying and I think that that uh, um, perhaps where our real disagreement comes in is about context, because as soon as you said that, like I started thinking about, you know, uh, the ANC in South Africa and different ways that people have organized political parties um, to to push a radical agenda or to do some sort of education organizing, even uh, some of the, the young communist organizing that was happening um, in, say, the mid 2000s. Uh, or the mid-knots, I don't really know how we say it, um, in, <laughs> in and around southern Ontario to up to Montreal. There was a lot of great organizing that was happening amongst people. And so what I think that you are really um, uh, discussing is not necessarily partisan politics in and of themselves, but partisan politics as they interact with capitalism. Because I think that a lot of the the grossness around uh, whether it's the United States or, you know, some of the things uh, that have been happening uh, here, uh, in particular with a party like the NDP, 
um, with respect to, say, uh, I know there was a vote, I think it was this week, um, about the the definition of anti-Semitism, um, where, you know, the, the the NDP did not show up uh, to that vote in order to, to uh, avoid... Um, I, don't, I don't know, making Zionists upset. And I'm sure that that has something to do with uh, fundraising dollars, potentially. Um, and I think that what what becomes corrupted uh, in uh, in party politics uh, at what we're seeing in Canada, the United States, is uh, this reliance on on capital uh, to make uh, to make a party strong. Or what they view as strong. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's talk through the NDP example because I think that this is a is an example that's um that's really useful because you've got a party where many members within that party who are elected. So many many NDP MPPs uh I think would have voted against that they definitely had one member who spoke against the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, um, which basically equates criticism of Israel and criticism of Zionism with uh, with anti-Semitism. And so you've got these individuals who were elected, some of them were elected through activist means, through grassroots organizing, through door knocking, through building a movement within their riding. And their politics on Israel, uh, I can think of at least three were not hidden uh, from what they were doing. They're critical of Israel, like any fair-minded progressive should be. And so this this vote comes up. You've got groups like Independent Jewish Voices who are organizing and organizing and organizing, trying to make sure that this vote do- not doesn't pass. Although, I mean, with the Conservatives in power, that would be very difficult, but at least that there'd be some opposition to this vote. And, you know, city councils have already rejected this. Vancouver rejected it. Calgary rejected it. Montreal rejected it. And those are places where, you know, you have partisan politics, uh, not actually everywhere, right? City councils across Canada are, some are organized by party, some are not organized by party. Um, but it's still a lot more loose. It's not this the, the uh, traditional established parties of, of provincial and, and, and federal politics. And this issue becomes so hot for whatever reason. I'm not sure fundraising is it. Like, I mean, I don't think that, I think that the NDP, that there's elements of the NDP who are in power, uh, in, the, in the party establishment, who are just Zionist, who are just pro- uh, Israel, or who don't really know how to criticize Israel properly. I mean, which is a bit strange because it's it's not actually <laughs> very difficult. I mean, Israel is like Canada. You you can criticize Canada the way you, you criticize any settler state and the injustices that they perpetuate. And not a single MPP shows up to the vote because they, whatever, don't want to look like they're opposing it. And so now we've got a situation where the vote passes unanimously because that's the vote. That's what happens. What is that disconnect between being elected and wearing your party colors and falling into line and taking orders from the party establishment, which I'm assuming happened here? I mean, if you are an NDP MPP in Ontario, you want to tell us what actually happened? Like, we would love to hear from you. But that that seems like a complete perversion of what is supposed to happen from a grassroots group, a grassroots body, and how they feed up their politics into the partisan world. And as I'm saying this, it's funny because I'm thinking the conservatives, they have the exact same grassroots kind of mechanism, except they're so much more sophisticated that they listen to their grassroots, they respond to their grassroots, and then they use their grassroots to get them elected. 
And so maybe the issue isn't that partisanship is anti-democratic. It's that the left is really shitty at uh, doing partisan politics well. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think we we both remember uh, the young liberals and our connections with them in a campus context where certainly the party was like the liberal party was delivering marching orders uh, to the young liberals and telling them to get in line and to try to get uh, the rest of a campus population in line by uh, trying to destroy uh, left and progressive politics on campus, rather than what I believe the youth wing of any party should be, which is to inject youth concerns and youth politics into the broader party apparatus. And, uh, you know, the the young liberals certainly weren't doing that. Um, They were trying to protect um, a, a political agenda that saw education become very, very expensive uh, and more reliant on user fees and less um, less reliant on uh, public uh, public resources and uh, attempting to stifle any sort of uh, a student uh, organizing and agitation. Uh, around those issues. And so I don't, I don't think it's just the left. I think it's, uh, I do, I I would imagine also that we could find similar examples within the conservative parties and the different uh, constituent, like smaller groups that make them up. So I I, I don't think it's just the left, but I do think, um, yeah, I think you're right. Like clearly there's some, some Zionist uh, uh, tendencies amongst all the parties uh, at, at, it on an Ontario level, but also federally. Um, so it isn't just money. But I do think that money does play a lot into how uh, what is possible democratically within a party structure uh, becomes impossible. I think that I think that, you know, what is a party? Like, what is partisan politics? A party is um, a group of people who have a, a, a similar political agenda coming together to try to shift the politic of the place in which they live. That can be a very radical concept and has been. And so many people all over the world have taken up um, that radical co- concept to, to change the world. You know, I, another example is obviously the Black Panther Party. It doesn't have to be in the same, like in, in the most official sort of way, but it is a, a certain type of partisanship. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily anti-democratic, but I do see what you're like. The, I see where we've come at this in two diff- very different places, um, and I don't think that's irreconcilable. Uh, but I do think that the party, the party uh, politics that are at play in Canada and you know in the United States, uh, the popular parties um, are. Yes, anti-democratic themselves, for sure. I mean, just was it last week that we saw the conservative convention where was it Mike Crawley who was trying to report on the fact that the conservative convention was happening? Did you see this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and the conservatives sent out some like big security guard to try to prevent uh, Mike Crawley from doing a live hit uh, on CBC News uh, about like, hey, the conservative, like, it's just a regular, boring uh, news story. The conservatives are having their convention, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it was live. And this, uh, this security guard is trying to, uh, to get uh, him as a reporter off uh off telling the story. It was it was really bizarre. I, I think there's a lot of anti-democratic uh, elements to uh, to partisanship as it is currently happening in 
Canada and the United States. But I think um, more importantly than like those kind of like heady theoretical issues is like, you know, what the impacts of that are on the ground. And I think, you know, we focus on the NDP because a little bit because, you know, we are, you know, that's supposed to be the more progressive party, but there's been some uh, some things that have been happening <laughs> recently <laughs> um, that, you know, like kind of spell out a little bit of what Nora's talking about. The uh, <laughs> watching that security guard try and stop Mike from doing his live hit kind of transported me right back to the, the last time I was at an Ontario uh, progressive conservative uh, convention uh, where I actually got to hang out with Mike, who's he's actually really, really cool. Um I was followed around that entire convention by a bunch of guys. I was not able to be without these guys tailing me and the other person I was with uh, the entire weekend. Everywhere I went, these guys followed us. And so this is the tactic that that they use against their critics uh, generally. It's not super surprising to see that they've upped their game to uh, disrupt live news um, because, you know, once a political party is willing to intimidate um, someone who's at their convention, totally legitimately, you know, paid for the ticket, present and following all the rules um, and you're still going to intimidate us, uh, the step that to then intimidate journalists is not, is not that, it's not, not a big, big, big stretch. But you, you're right. Um, I am engaged in partisan politics. I'm a member of a political party. And I guess for me, what's what's really interesting is to see the difference between how political parties are organized in Canada versus how the left has organized itself in Quebec uh, around Quebec Solidaire. And there's a lot of NDPers outside of Quebec who are like, yes, yes, we want to be like that or we are that or, or, or there's not much difference between us. But the difference between the democratic internal life of the of, of Quebec solidaire versus the NDP um, federally let's say or or you know I haven't I don't have much contact with NDPs uh, provincially really including um, the Ontario NDP I, I was never involved or, or around them uh, very much but like QS is plagued plagued in a good way but plagued by debate like there are always uh, well there's a there's a, a, a national council that happens every year and the national council has representatives from every riding uh, you know, from one to seven depending on how big the riding is and then there's conventions that happen every other year and uh, the conventions are quite large and there's there's problems internally about you know making sure people are heard and making sure that the that motions get get passed through the whatever the system of kind of prioritization is because you need to have some sort of organization or else you just won't get anything done but it's night and day between how i've seen other uh, con- conventions run and 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 partly maybe that's the separation that so many of the mainstream parties have all three of the main parties between policy and then the real politic the the way that they think that they're going to get elected and i i mean i'm able to like get past that for the conservatives because i don't expect them to be principled i don't expect them to do the right thing i don't expect them uh, to 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 respect their their party policies but they're smart like they know the right wing part of the conservative party will be engaging in a specific way there will be motions that are coming from the right they 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 know that they have to kind of work with them or massage how they interact with the party to get power right that's how Doug Ford got elected with the help of Tanya Allen Greenwich, who is a far, far right uh, parent activist, and her votes swung. May we never hear from her again. Exactly. And her votes swung to Doug Ford and boom, he he just eked out uh, Christine Elliott. And now the party's all like, oh, like nothing ever happened. No big deal. 
The NDP, I mean, the 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 distance between the ground and the decisions is is really like quite far, you know, like you might hear good words coming from the leadership of of either provincial or or, or the or the federal party, but there really isn't much direct contact between the grassroots of social movements who should be the grassroots of the NDP, but of course that's not exactly right. And then the expression of the demands from the grassroots to the to the party. I mean, you know, you've got what's so it in, which is difficult for the NDP because the British Columbia NDP is basically who's called in the, the RCMP. The NDP federally is in favor of liquefied national gas, which is a bad decision. And they should absolutely get rid of that position ASAP. And I'm not sure what it's taking, like why they haven't ditched their love of LNG. But the distance between them and then the activists who the NDP needs to have them vote if they're ever going to get elected or reelected, it's 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 really quite profound. And I'm just not I don't know what the source of that is, if it's a weak intellectualism within the party to not really understand the role of the grassroots within the party. If everyone is, is only looking at the balance sheet within the party going, oh, my goodness, we're in a crisis. We have to just kind of, I don't know, cut corners um, but whatever it is, it certainly has made partisanship uh, not an ally to progressive movements. I think also uh, there's an element of, uh, with respect to the NDP, um, I've often heard, you know, when bringing up some of these uh, criticisms uh, with people within the party that, you know, ah, you know, but you know, you don't understand Alberta politics, for example, we we can't, yeah. we can't take the position that is obviously the right position, because then we will lose power. And then we won't be able to, to, to transition to the right position, uh, eventually, uh-huh. which is the ultimate goal. And it's like, mm, okay, I hear you like what you're saying. But so the, what you're saying is that it is more important for you to have power than to do the right thing is what it sounds like to me. Because what what should be happening in in those circumstances where it actually sounds like they're making the argument that the the opposite argument than you're making, Nora, where it's they're saying like we're tapped into the ground and the ground is telling us that we will lose if we if we take the principled position on um, on the oil industry uh, on tar sands or whatever uh, and. Uh, you know, in that case, like there's another role that a party needs to play. And we've talked about this before of uh, an educational role. If people understand uh, that that mm. that is an unprincipled uh, position to take, that it is that it is antithetical to the very roots of like a of a principled uh, social movement led worker led uh, party, then they should be doing the education on the ground to shift the ground uh, to a place uh, where where justice is the core of how you're responding to uh, the climate crisis and not and not uh, a we must hold on to power no matter what, even if it makes this really weird incongruent situation between, you know, Alberta, BC and the federal government (laughs) where it just seems like what's going on with the NDP. They don't seem to agree with one another Um, because, and and nobody wants to resolve or reconcile it. It seems like no one's working on it. I'm not sure. Maybe there's something going on um, internally, Uh, but, but there's this weird, uh, disconnect uh, because the party isn't doing what parties kind of should be doing, not just listening to the ground, but also having an educational uh, aspect to the work that they do. The NDP has proven it's not 
able to do that educational piece. I mean, I don't think that I've seen a good example of that happening in the last 25 years, 30 years, and probably before that. Like, I cannot think of when the NDP was was necessarily doing that kind of work. And, you know, I can... I, 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 I often return to the the speech that Rosemary Brown gave uh, when she was running for the NDP leadership in the mid-1970s. And her speech was so radical, like calling for the nationalization of, of the of, of the oil extraction industries, uh, calling for like justice in, in, in no uncertain terms, like what justice should mean, you know, lifting people out of poverty without the kind of buzzwords that I think we're so used to hearing uh, from the party. And of course, Rosemary Brown did not win. Um, the party is allergic to radical politics. I think we can say that. Um, There's more than enough evidence to show that that's the case. And when you're allergic to radical politics, you, you kind of like, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. And again, this is where the conservatives are very smart. They know that the radical wing of their party is racist, is super close to like, like the far right or, or whatever various groupings of the far right you want to talk about, like the yellow vesters or, or, or you know, uh, neo-Nazi group of schools. And they use that because they understand that their project requires them to like use the cover of their far extreme uh, and be like, oh, no, no, we're not that, while always shifting consensus within the party to the right. That helps to consolidate party. Uh, that helps to consolidate their their policy. That helps to consolidate conservative identity. And it also puts forward an image of a party that has its shit together. The NDP looks at the radical elements of its own party and then, you know, more radical elements of people who are not in the party. And they're like, silence them, malign them. If you're friends with them, you should harass them and ignore and the this the the effect of that is is it looks like the party has no real idea either how to work with a progressive grassroots or work within the federal government uh, within within parliament to be to be an opposition party. I mean, they are the fourth party, and so there's like when you're the fourth party, you have to start thinking in different ways about how you're going to fight power. Because as a fourth party, I mean, this is, I, I, I would be really interested to hear your take on this, but I have been very surprised at the NDP's continual insistence on raising a pharmacare program right now. Like, it just seems like the weirdest thing for them to put forward, considering everything that's going on. And so it's like, why are you putting forward national program bills as the fourth party? You know, they're not going to get adopted in the way that you want them to get adopted, you have to step back and say, what are the other mechanisms of power available to us as the fourth party to force the liberals to do what, what we want them to do, especially in a minority government? And when you start thinking like that, then you start seeing, OK, well, actually, we could be putting pressure on on members of, of parliament in the liberal writings who have claimed to be progressive and look at all these things that they don't actually support. And and then that forces the party to actually be more more attuned to the grassroots and to grassroots organizing. But instead, it seems more like it's just this flash, shortcuts, uh, get on TV, say the right thing. Oops, we're not saying the right thing. Oh, this is so awkward. You know what? Let's just not say anything for a couple of days. And it's like, guys, the limit to that is the party's success. Like, you can see the limit to that. It's no one has much confidence in the left flank of partisan politics right now. And I, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe like maybe you disagree. Maybe you think that the pharmacare uh, bill is, a, is strategic. I don't know. I don't. I don't see any problem with raising it personally. Like I think it's a good thing to keep it uh, in in the public's 
psyche as something that is a left wing idea, that's something that is, uh, you know, that they are trying like that people uh, associate with the NDP. Like, I don't see any anything wrong with um, them trying to make it so that pharmacare is something that people associate with the NDP. And when it doesn't pass, that that's associated with um, the the liberals. Like, I, I don't see any real harm in that. Um, I think that what you're saying is that other things need to be happening at the same or you're saying that other things need to be happening instead of that. I think that other things need to be happening at the same time. Like I don't, I don't see any problem with that. I want the, the more consistent that the idea of that program remains uh, in uh, the, our public discussions, the more likely it's going to happen. If it disappears, the more likely it's not going to happen. And so, you know, we, we've seen this with like childcare, like as soon as it disappears from the, from, you know, it only comes up when the election happens. If it was a sustained, uh, issue, I think it would be more likely uh, that a uh, a political party would actually make it happen. And so I don't think that there's any problem uh, in, in keeping it alive. Uh, I do think that there are other things that as a weakened party, uh, the NDP needs to be doing. And, uh, you know, I, a lot of those things hap- happen to be uh, strengthening its democratic base, uh, doing the education work that needs to happen, doing organizing work that needs to happen, connecting with social movements on the ground, uh, with radical organizing on the ground. And, you know, I know that the convention was canceled this year. Uh, that's one of the places where people can come together to have discussions about stuff. I've never been to a convention, massive caveat for the NDP. So I don't know if that's the way things actually happen. I know that, Nora, you've had an experience at the convention, which suggests that it's not, but it could be um, mm-hmm. a way uh, to kind of bring ideas forward and strengthen uh, a weakened party, um, because that should be one of the things that they're thinking about right now. To strengthen a weakened party, you have to um, uh, strengthen the democratic structures within that party. And so uh, because it's the people on the ground that gives the party its strength, or it could be corporations and their money, you know, right. <laughs> but it, it should be the people. It, it's never going to be that for the NDP. So it's going to be the people on the ground, its connections with unions uh, and uh, you know, like it's connection with, with people who are doing great radical organizing that could be the radical organizing of the parties. Um itself. Uh, but I, you know, I'm not sure if that's happening. This is, I think, where we go back to the question of partisanship, whether or not it helps or it hurts, because this is what I think the danger of the NDP raising pharmacare over and over is. I, I think there's two dangers, although I don't disagree, like it needs to be something the NDP owns and they need to figure out how to consistently push for it. But we know that the, the liberals are are like not opposed to pharmacare. And so what happens when the liberals put forward their motion? I mean, the NDP motion fails. The liberals put forward their motion. They, they collaborate enough with the conservatives that the conservatives don't kill the government over it. The NDP is forced to vote in favor of it because it's good enough. And then we get a program that the, that the liberals take full credit for. And then the NDP kind of snips from the sidelines saying, no, but that was our, our project. Do you know what I mean? It's like we are operating in a world where the liberals are so clever that they will be coming up with something that's a scheme. The scheme will not be as good as what the NDP is going to be proposing or has proposed. But but to communicate the difference will be extremely difficult. And the NDP will find themselves at the end of the day not really able to support what the liberals are doing, but also not able to, to communicate why that is 
better than nothing because that would be the decision is the the, the liberal party policy or or nothing and so th- this is what i mean by by th- st- thinking strategically that as the fourth party like they're thinking like oh well we're we're a political party we're fighting to be prime minister like like jagmeet is going to be prime minister at some point and we're going to act you know like we have national level credibility but i would so much prefer to see the the voices in that party focusing their efforts on the issues that as they like more being on the defensive than pretending that they can play an offensive game right now so like letting letting the MPs who are bold and who are saying excellent stuff to be louder, to be more critical of the Liberal government, to be in the streets and to be able to criticize John Horgan and to be able to criticize their position on LNG and actually like like listening to their grassroots and bringing forward uh, the, the, the concerns, the demands, the ideas of those grassroots as they present themselves by the Liberal Party because the Liberal Party is still the government. And so to, to pretend not that the NDP is going to pass a single piece of legislation, especially not a national pharmacare program. And the other reason why I'm concerned by this, of course, is that the, that the labor movement is all in on this as well. And it's like, guys, there are so many issues that labor movement needs to be all in on. It seems to me that this is all just a shortcut because it's all easy because you know it's not going to go anywhere with the Liberal Party. Or you can get into bed with the Liberals, as some elements of the labor movement have done. And then that's even worse. And so it's like, no, no, the NDP needs to be thinking, OK, is, is partisanship right now hurting us? Do we need to be less partisan in terms of our own, not less partisan, like work closer with the other parties, but less partisan, like we need to just open ourselves up to allowing those voices in the party bring forward the demands of the movements that are either the local movements or the movements that they are personally connected to without fear that there's going to be some sort of weird NDP internal fight between the Alberta NDP, the BC NDP and the federal NDP, because that fight already exists. It already exists. And it's obvious it's not being hidden from anybody. No, and you're not gaining anything by not having really high profile expert MPs hammering on certain issues like the way the NDP has handled what Sowetan is so embarrassing so embarrassing Jugmeet Singh's line has just been we need to have more discussion Justin Justin Trudeau needs to be at the table and it's like guy there's so many other things that you could be calling for right now that actually would force the the liberals to do the right thing where, where why have they not condemned the rapid response uh, plan uh, wh- where where you've got Bill Blair and you've got Christian Freeland looking to 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 actually come up with this like potentially dangerous for 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 protesters rapid response team. I mean, there's so many things they could be doing that drives me crazy. And I guess mm-hmm. I, maybe I'm blaming on partisanship, but really, what the problem is, is I'm actually it's just that's where we're at, and it's not partisanship at all. It it could be done well. It could, it could. Like, like the, 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 I think that this is where Canadians need to look to the United States and see how. Ah. <laughs> okay, justify that statement. <laughs> we look to the United States and see how the 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 polls move between being uh, being elected and electoralism, and then grassroots broad based movements, and how these are always in conflict with each other. You know, I was talking to someone in uh, I was I was saying, and I got to hang out this weekend. <laughs> I was in L.A. And I was talking to a friend of mine who had worked on the Obama campaign, and this guy's a real radical. So he worked on the Obama campaign. He was knocking on doors and doing the grassroots organizing and then felt completely betrayed by Obama and then has so far not really gotten in, involved too much. He's been a Bernie Sanders supporter for a long time. And and, he, and I was saying, 
and he kind of was agreeing with me that it seems that like the 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 like Obama's policies were obviously not sufficient or bad or whatever, but the way he organized to get elected was that grassroots mobilization that you can see the impact of on one the Clinton campaign falling apart because she obviously didn't have that kind of grassroots support, and two where the Sanders campaign is really mobilizing in a grassroots way. Um, that actually it has echoes to Obama, which is kind of funny considering how different the politicians are with their with their policies. And if a partisan organization doesn't embrace that kind of door-to-door intense on the street talking to people grassroots mobilization then the whole partisan structure becomes just a game controlled by the rich but controlled by the elites and that will always look to to destroy or to hurt average people in any way that it can but it doesn't have to and i think that that's just my point right like it's not it doesn't have to be like the partisan uh, the way that partisanship has shaped up, shaped, you know, like f- fucking contemporary partisanship of Canada has has uh, shaped to be what it has become doesn't have to be that way. And what Nora and I are saying, and, you know, if we have any folks who are, uh, f- I know that there are folks from within the party who listen to the to this podcast. So, you know, uh, I historically or in the last in the last little bit um critique hasn't necessarily been taken very well (laughs) by the people who run the party and like you know i i think um being able to take critique is also a really important thing for doing um a, a partisanship in a way that is uh that it's in the spirit of like justice. You, you kind of have to be uh, reflective and reflexive and think about the ways that things have gone right in the past and things have gone wrong in the past and to accept criticism and to discuss uh, critique uh, and not just be defensive, but to think, you know, folks might be frustrated. Folks might be angry. Is there something here? Is there something here for us to consider? Um, is it perhaps urgent? Is that why there's passion behind it? And so on, you know, like there's ways that you're, you know, as a, as a powerful organization, an organization that has resources and power, maybe not as much as other parties, but you still have resources and power. It's incumbent upon you to take a listen to some of those uh, critiques and say, is this um, right? Like, can we do better? Can we do different? Um, And I think, I really hope, you know, that there's room uh, to move in that direction. I think that there's, you know, as you said, you're a part of a political party right now. I think that there are examples of of political parties that may not be the Democratic Party of the United States or the Republican Party or the Conservative Party or the Liberal Party, but there are examples of parties um, that are democratic, uh, both historically and today, and who do things quite well. And I think that, you know, if there is room uh, for our purported left-wing party to move in that direction, they should. And they could. They could. And they should. Okay, you're right. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) And that, my friends, is how you have a political argument. (laughs) 